When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Lon Seidman and it's time for your weekly wrap up and we've got a, another long list of contributors this week because a lot of people are still moving over from Patreon to my new uh, preferred provider. I'll talk a little bit more about what Patreon did this week in a few minutes. So I want to thank first of all Colin Sassy, Sleepy Reader and Art Karnick who gave via the tip jar. And we also have a bunch of new monthly contributors including Chris Allegretta who was a gold member on Patreon. Now he's over on uh, the donor box thing that I set up as a gold member, so I want to thank him for moving over. Kenneth Greaves, Rainer Holgemeyer, Leo Nolan, Robert Stroud, Gary Johnson. We've got Michael Olszewski, Carl Davis, Dr. Bill Bailey, John Pallone, Ariolfo Cabrera, Ken Hoshin. And we have Ed Piotrowski, Jonathan Domenich, Ofer Cohen, Bahad Batarachia. I'm going to really mess up a lot of names here. Uh, Mary Ann Wooten, Martin Paulini, Jeff Gallup. We have John Bargo, Christopher Dale, Don H., Will Rowland, Caitlin Bessler, Andrew Calvin, Jamie Ward, Guy Brooks, Henry Lay, Paul Halloway, Kenny Hoshin, and Studio 35, who upgraded their support of the channel. Now, I do want to give you an update on Patreon, because where we left off last week, they had decided to uh, change their entire business model and charge you, the donor, uh, for contributing to me, the creator. So if you were giving me a dollar a month, you were going to be paying $1.38 uh, after the first of the year. Thankfully, they reversed course on that. They also reversed course on uh, disaggregating their contributions. So if you were giving a dollar to me and 10 other people, uh, that uh, contributions fees were spread out amongst all these creators as opposed to having the fee charged 10 times. What Patreon was proposing, as I covered in the video I did last week, was to actually reverse course on all of that and charge you uh, 10 times for every uh, contribution you made. So thankfully, all of that is not happening at the moment, but I do think that is where they'll end up going or do some other lousy thing to you all uh, moving forward. I've lost trust in them. It took them way too long to uh, respond to the backlash that was going on here. My suspicion is they were waiting to see what the financial impact was before they finally did something about it. Uh, so this went through that prior weekend all the way into uh, last week, I think about Tuesday or Wednesday, they finally decided to uh, change the direction of this new decision. And I really feel like they were just waiting to see how much money they were losing before they actually decided to do that. And uh, this company is no longer being run by the creators. It's being run by the money people. And even though the creator guys are still there running the company, they don't have the control they once had. And as such, I really don't recommend anyone as a creator uh, relying on Patreon as your primary source of viewer revenue. So I have uh, moved over to something called DonorBox, as I mentioned last week. It's been working out uh, very well, I think. A lot of you went over there. I think I'm down maybe, uh, I lost like a net of nine uh, contributors over this entire debacle, which I was uh, you know, certainly expecting a lot more damage than we got. So I really want to thank everybody who uh, very quickly responded and moved your contributions over. I am still going to support Patreon moving forward. So if you do want to contribute via there, I'm okay with that. I'm not going to take it down, uh, partly because now that we're back to the status quo, if you are giving a dollar a month to me and a bunch of other creators, we all do better uh, with you giving via Patreon than we do with this new thing that I'm doing. But if you're giving more, uh, I'm actually doing better with the donor box thing because they're not charging me a fee right now. And 
uh, you're just, I'm just basically absorbing the credit card charges and not the extra 5% that Patreon tax on. So uh, you can do what you wish. I'm just letting you know that as far as what I am supporting, as far as promotion, uh, it's not going to be Patreon any longer from here on out. I've changed my link and where that link goes. And of course, we are now uh, calling folks members and not uh, patrons as uh, the Patreon branding once required. So in any event, we're in good shape here. I want to thank everyone for your very quick response to this and your support of me throughout uh, another crisis facing us independent creators. But for now, at least, it looks like they're going to back down. We'll see what happens next. And this week's weekly wrap-up is sponsored by Plex, which is a great media server that allows you to kind of run your own cloud media service on your own hardware with your own media. So you can serve your uh, music and movies and TV shows to yourself anywhere in the world. It is a uh, awesome platform. We've covered a lot of it here in the past on the channel. You can check out uh, a playlist, which I'll link to down below in the video description for you to learn more about what you can do with Plex. And they've got uh, two levels of service. You can use it for free and get a lot of the functionality of the software, but uh, there are some things that you can uh, do more with if you buy their Plex Pass subscription. They have a lifetime pass if you just want to pay once, or you can do it on a uh, monthly or a yearly basis. And uh, you can find some links there for information as to where to go to get that Plex Pass. You can also send a Plex Pass gift to somebody in your life at lon.tv slash Plex gift. And some of the things you can do with the Plex Pass are uh, use their DVR system, which we've covered a lot about. So you can uh, actually record stuff off the uh, over-the-air antenna you might have or through your cable system, put it onto your server and watch your TV shows anywhere in the world. You can even stream live TV to yourself with that DVR feature. That's a pretty cool thing. Uh, Plex Cloud allowing you to store things in the cloud for playback later. They've got mobile sync, so you can download a bunch of stuff onto your phone if you've got a flight or something ahead of you and you don't want any interruptions. You can uh, just drop it all onto your phone before you leave the house. They've got uh, free Plex apps across many different platforms. If you're not a Plex Pass subscriber, you often have to pay for those apps. You get early access to new features. We covered one of those features last week and a whole bunch more. So you can go to lon.tv slash plexpass to buy one for yourself or get a Plex Pass given to somebody at lon.tv slash plexgift. So let's take a look now at the week in review. And we had a couple of things up on the Extras channel, including some footage from the Classic 2 HD, which was that uh, combo NES-SNES clone console we looked at. You can see exactly what uh, comes out of its HDMI port in that video. I also give you an update on the Asus Chromebook Flip that I reviewed a few weeks ago. Uh, that was a device that came to me kind of defective. It was putting itself to sleep when I flipped it into tablet mode, and a bunch of other people were experiencing that as well. I sent it back to Asus. This was the result of that uh, repair. So if you want to hear the whole story, you can click over there and check it out. The spoiler is that it's working now, but they had to send me a whole new one. Uh, we also unboxed the Azul Inspire Mini PC that we reviewed this week on the main channel, which is a fanless i5 device. It really worked quite well. We were quite pleased with how this one worked. And uh, you can check out that full review link down in the master playlist. We also have a review of that Classic 2 HD. And we had a demo of a new feature in the Plex DVR. If you are a Plex Pass subscriber to automatically skip the commercials after the recording is completed. So once it's done, it does a little processing and then uh, drops in a file with all the commercials stripped out. And you can see how all of that works. Again, link down below in the master playlist. Now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. And this is week number 41 of 
uh, this as a full-time occupation, and I had a, a pretty busy week last week. As you know, I was on vacation the prior week. I came back, and then my old job hired me back for two days to do some uh, transition work on some software that I used to run when I was at the company. So I'm not leaving this job. They just brought me back for two days. So that knocked around my uh, production schedule a little bit, but uh, all is good, and I'm looking forward to having a very productive full week here ahead of the uh, holidays next week. Now, I did go out and see The Last Jedi on Friday night, and what I have been doing over the last couple of years is buying out an entire theater with my friends. So I had 170 people there on Friday night. We're all connected to each other in some way, which was lots of fun. And uh, we all saw the movie. Now, what was funny was I did this for The Force Awakens as well as Rogue One. And uh, what I've been noticing over the years as far as people who have been uh, jumping onto my little uh, private screening was that the first year for The Force Awakens, it was a much broader audience. People were really into something new in the Star Wars universe. And then uh, it's kind of become more of the super fans that have been joining me throughout. But what was really interesting was that at the end of The uh, Last Jedi, I'm not going to give any spoilers away here, but at the end of the movie, I think people were really pumped up and excited from The Force Awakens. And at the end of The Last Jedi, everyone was just kind of like, whoa, because this, I think, was really the uh, first real different kind of story set in uh, the Star Wars universe that we are familiar with. And if you think about all the other movies, uh, for the most part, those have been relying on kind of the seed that was planted in 1977. And in this one, I think they're trying to do uh, something significantly different. I really did enjoy the movie. I think, you know, obviously never, everything did not happen the way I hoped it would as a fan, but uh, by and large, I think they did the right thing for this franchise because unlike other franchises that get rebooted or completely blown up and changed with new characters set in the future or something, this one really tried to maintain a timeline uh, that we've been following for the last 40-something years or so. And that's a really challenging thing for a director, including uh, Ryan Johnson, who was the director of this film. He really had to work with a lot here. There's a lot of different story arcs, a lot of different characters. You've got to settle the story from 40-something years ago while uh, moving these new characters forward. And as a result, the movie is long. There's parts of the movie that uh, I feel like didn't connect all that well, but uh, those might make more sense in uh, later chapters as well. So this was a really challenging effort. I did think they took some risks with this. And the funny thing with Star Wars was that as I was watching Rogue One last year, uh, which I liked, but I wasn't like totally crazy about, I was just like, how much more of this are we going to be able to uh, endure in the sense that, yeah, we've got the great space battles and the same story and the Death Star. And, and I, was, I was enjoying it, but I was like, I can't like just go and see this every year. We need something different. And this film, uh, for better or for worse, was really different. And uh, the overall, in the aggregate kind of uh, opinion here, I really did enjoy it uh, quite a bit. But Star Wars is different now than it was. A lot of fans are not happy with this movie. And to be quite honest with you, a lot of fans haven't been happy with the last five movies that have been uh, put together because the prequels obviously had their uh, detractors. Many of them, myself included, were not crazy about uh, most of the prequels, although I do have a more of a fondness for the last one in that prequel trilogy just because it lined up better with uh, uh, the, the, the uh, original films. But uh, this one is definitely going in a new direction. I think it had to go there, and I think they hired the right uh, guy to do it. But know that you'll never get the Star Wars movies you had when you were a kid. That's just not going to happen. We have different creators. The uh, story now is being driven by a committee. And what was funny was uh, Ryan Johnson in an interview was talking about some decisions he made in the story and how he was really consulting with uh, the Lucasfilm story group, which maintains the database of everything that is canon in the Star Wars universe. And it really uh, became clear to me at this point that you no longer have a single decision maker uh, determining the direction of 
the story, you've got a committee, and I think that is going to start uh, really creating issues down the road for this series, because I think one of the things that did very well for Star Wars over the years was its scarcity. It was very hard for George Lucas to make a movie, so when there was a movie, it was a big event. Uh, now we're moving to this annual process of a new film every single year, and I think it's going to uh, lose its luster to some degree. And I was starting to think about this when I was at Disney World, and I saw this for sale in the gift shop, which was, of course, R2-D2 Mickey Mouse ears. And this is all you need to know about uh, where things have gone, because uh, up until the acquisition, George Lucas determined the direction of Star Wars, again, for better or for worse. But uh, there were some real uh, good things that he did, namely the, the uh, Clone Wars cartoon series. He was uh, the final decision maker in most of the story direction there. Uh, obviously, the prequel movies and the mainline movies were his as well. And I think to some degree, even if you don't like everything he decided to do, uh, he was the creator, just like what we were talking about with Patreon. The creators are no longer in charge of the company. Well, this is certainly the case with Lucasfilm as well, and they're going to be uh, doing things very differently. And uh, the stories are going to feel different. The, the films themselves are going to feel very different from each other. They'll be in this familiar universe. But uh, again, I think we're certainly going to be uh, seeing a very different Star Wars now rolling forward, and uh, I really did enjoy the film. I'm going to put a link down below in the description, though, to a a forum in which you can discuss this movie because I don't want to have a discussion in the comments that spoils the movie for people. I'm going to be keeping an eye on this. I'm going to delete spoiler comments because uh, you know you still it's still early. People still need time to see this. But I'll put a link to a Facebook group that I'm a part of. A friend of mine uh, who I met at a NASA tweet up years ago. He's from the Philippines. He maintains this uh, this little group, and it's a fun, safe place to talk about the movie without spoiling it for other people. So check out that link down below. And now it's time for some news. And of course, as expected, the FCC last week. Uh, ignoring a lot of public sentiment, uh, voted to overturn the regulations that required ISPs to treat data that they have transiting across their networks equally. Uh, this is the first time in many, many years where there are no rules anymore about how ISPs treat different types of content. Before we had, of course, these regulations, but before that, uh, there were rules that the FCC had attempted to put in place that uh, were overturned by the courts. And that was what led the Obama administration to do what they did, uh, be, which was creating these regulations in the first place because Congress hadn't done anything. And uh, now we're at a point where I think everyone's fears are going to be soon realized. I don't think the ISPs are going to uh, end the world as we know it all at once, but we're going to start seeing things creep in. And I've got a couple of things to show you uh, that I think are already happening. Now, the first thing I want to do, though, is point you at uh, the Comcast net neutrality commitment. They have this on their website right now. You can see it at this link down below right here. Uh, we talked about this about two weeks ago when I was speculating as to what they might do, including the fact that even though Comcast is saying they're not going to block, slow down, or discriminate against lawful content, uh, their data caps will likely make you, the consumer, likely to block different sites that might eat against your data cap in favor of visiting content providers that don't. And of course, Comcast owns a lot of the content that they're going to transit across their own network. Uh, you know, really, this is from an antitrust standpoint, really concerning to me, but there's nothing we can do about it anymore. Uh, they do, they say, believe in full transparency of their customer policies. The next slide is going to put that into question. And then the last point here is they're for sustainable and legally enforceable net neutrality protections for their customers. In other words, they too hope that uh, Congress takes up this issue and uh, tries to create some new rules about this because then they can have some part in it. They have a lot more control over Congress than 
uh, they had in the past over the FCC, although they certainly have some friends at the FCC right now. But I want to show you what Comcast's net neutrality statement looked like two or three years ago. Uh, this is from archive.org. You can go down here and uh, see this for yourself. And you can see that this statement was a lot longer uh, than it is now. So here is what it looks like now. This is what it used to look like. And the reason why it's longer here is they took stuff off of it. And you can see the three things that uh, matter most of this discussion that they removed. They uh, took away the statement that they don't prioritize internet traffic or create paid fast lanes. They are now apparently going to do that because they took it off their pledge uh, from two or three years ago. Uh, they also committed to helping low-income families get access to the net. That's off their, their pledge as well. And the last point that they removed is what they were going to inspire innovation, promote learning, and create access to jobs. They took that off of their statement as well. And that makes me very concerned as someone whose job is making content uh, on the Internet that might not be on a platform that's favorable to uh, Comcast. And this is, again, very much a concern of mine. And I think the first thing we're going to see are the paid fast lanes. And I wanted to show you the diagnostic screen from my cable modem. And this is going to give us a real hint as to what's going on. Now, right now, I am on the Comcast Blast plan, which means I get uh, 250 megabits per second downstream, and I can transmit 10 megabits per second upstream. That's the maximum that they offer in my area. And by the way, this is the only choice that I have for internet access here. Now you'll see, though, that my downstream uh, uh, bonded channels here are 24. So there are 24 channels dedicated to data on my cable modem, basically on that coax cable coming into my house from Comcast, 24 of these channels are dedicated solely for internet traffic, yet uh, I am not using all of these channels at the moment. 24 channels here, as you can see, uh, 38 megabits per second each, totals 912 megabits per second. So uh, for all intents and purposes, my cable modem here has a, essentially a gigabit connection back to my Comcast node. I'm not getting, again, those speeds, but the fact is that they have locked in these channels. These are not being used for television right now. Uh, this is all in. In fact, these channels have been increasing over the last couple of months. When I first got this new modem, I think maybe half of those were in use, and now I'm using the full amount. And my theory here is that uh, we're very soon going to be seeing services that might be able to pay to deliver data faster to me uh, than you might with a competing service. And I was making the example a couple of weeks ago of maybe uh, Steam versus the Microsoft Store. Maybe Microsoft might be able to pay uh, Comcast to deliver a game to me in uh, gigabit performance versus Steam, which is going to be limited to 250 megabits per second. This is the kind of stuff we're going to start seeing uh, very quickly here. And this is it. The fast lane has been installed. At least the road is there, and we'll see how uh, the tolls work on it. But uh, nonetheless, I've got gigabit in my house at this point, and I don't have the ability to get myself a gigabit plan. And they're able to do this because there's no competition. If somebody rolled in tomorrow and decided, hey, we're going to put in gigabit uh, internet for you, I'm sure Comcast could snap their fingers and offer that to me as well. But the fact is they're artificially holding it back uh, because they can, and they're going to sell that scarcity now uh, to other people who wish to uh, take advantage of it at the expense of their competitors. And uh, that is what is going on. So that's going to lead me to our first Q&A here today because I did get some pushback on my opinion about net neutrality. And I uh, want to honor all opinions and give you some counterpoints to them. And uh, the summation of what people are talking about here is that the free market is eventually going to work out. We'll see better choices. Some people use the mobile phone uh, industry as an example. And here in the United States, I have four different options for my mobile phone carrier. I've got Verizon, T-Mobile, AT&T, and Sprint. And 
about a year or two ago, T-Mobile said unlimited data for everybody. And what do you know? Everybody else went to unlimited data after that as well with some caveats, of course. But uh, nonetheless, the consumer environment got better because there was competition. Where I am, there is no competition. So at the moment, when we go back and look at my uh, locked-in channels here, I have gigabit service that is just not being provided to me because there's no competitor uh, offering that service right now. And we've also seen that Comcast has been uh, very aggressive in preventing municipalities from creating some options for their uh, citizens to have broadband speed. And they've also been very difficult about poll attachments as well, including uh, AT&T, who owns a lot of polls in some areas as well. So it's really hard for competitors to spring up. They make it very difficult for them. And the fact that I have no choices makes this difficult. Here's the point that I'm willing to concede. I do think regulation in a competitive industry uh, can be counteractive to uh, growing those industries. I do agree with that statement in many cases. But uh, what I do think should happen here is that these rules and these regulations should be in place when there's a regional monopoly. If that monopoly can demonstrate that there is an effective competitor in their area, I'm okay with those regulations being loosened up. We did that here in Connecticut when uh, there was more options for cable television being offered by the phone company. They relaxed the regulations that were on the cable television providers as a result because uh, there was a competitive option. Of course, the phone company decided to stop growing and the, the regulations stayed in place. But uh, nevertheless, I think it was a, an appropriate decision uh, to make when there is a competitive market. But right now, there isn't one. I have no choice beyond what I'm using for Comcast right now. And many other consumers across this country are in the same boat partly because it's so hard and so expensive uh, to bring in broadband services. I'm holding out hope that some magical wireless technology might appear that might uh, make that entry point less expensive. But the reality is, for now, that is not the case. We have monopolies that will be uh, generating this artificial scarcity, monopolies that will be taking advantage of their uh, monopolistic position in the market. And in the case of Comcast and many other ISPs who also own content, uh, they'll be able to use that monopoly to favor their own media over uh, other media that doesn't have the uh, advantage of owning the wires that deliver content to people's homes. The FCC in the past had been very uh, clear about these kinds of relationships. They limited how many newspapers and radio stations different companies could own in a particular market. All of that is gone now, and I feel like the gatekeepers are trying to find a way to create artificial scarcity to uh, once again control everything that we consume as consumers, and that uh, is really a step in the wrong direction. So my hope is uh, that the backlash will continue on this, that Congress will be taking a look at this and uh, maybe developing some regulations that uh, treats these companies differently when they're the only game in town in a regional market. And we'll see where it goes from there. But right now, not good for consumers and not good for independent creators like myself. And this next review comes in from Stephanie McKeon, who wonders if I ever worry about uh, not getting future items on loan from a company if I uh, reviewed an item of theirs unfavorably in the past. And uh, that is something that could happen. In fact, I've got a concrete example of that, which I'll show you in a second. But uh, by and large, that doesn't bother me because my business model is not centered around getting free stuff from these companies. In fact, in many cases, I'll just go out and buy an item so I can get it onto this channel to review fast enough. Uh, more often than not, the really hot items out there, uh, there's not enough loaner items available for smaller channels like mine. So I just go out and get the item, review it, and resell it. Uh, so I can get some content up early. That's been my business model since early on, and it's largely worked pretty well. Uh, over the last year or so, as the channel has grown and it's developed more of a following, it's been a little easier to get those items in. But again, by and large, my uh, focus is still on getting these items in and buying them 
uh, especially for the really popular things, the um, analog NT, uh, Super NT, that new Super Nintendo clone console I'm really excited about is a great example. I didn't even bother asking for a review loaner, just knowing that it's going to be impossible to get one, so I just went out and pre-ordered one to get it in. But let me give you an example, though, of how uh, some companies, not all, think. And this is an email that I got probably about three years ago now, and this was an email I had sent to a PR uh, firm, or actually maybe PR at the company itself, uh, asking if they wanted to give me a tour of their product line at CES. And I reviewed one of their devices, and I thought it was okay. There was a few things that I wasn't crazy about with it, but uh, I didn't think the review was overly harsh, but apparently they thought otherwise. And this person at a big company said, hey team, got this email from Lon, who I believe so-and-so worked with in the past to feature the thing in the video. Uh, his review was a little harsh. I remember we didn't think it was good to post on social. While this op doesn't look like a review, I was asking again for an interview. Uh, since we don't have any product announcements happening in 2015, I recommend we don't pursue. In other words, I wasn't friendly to them enough, so they felt like that wasn't worth their time to uh, communicate further with me. And, and, and the reason why I got this email was because he accidentally sent it to me when he replied to everybody else. I think he hit reply all, and for whatever reason, my email got into the CC on that one, and uh, you know, he, he kind of backtracked on it. But nonetheless, that was what they sent out internally, and it's clear that some companies do think like this, and that is just the, the nature of the beast. And uh, there are many companies that trade access for uh, coverage. And this is an example of maybe that happening here. And of course, with a million YouTube creators probably contacting them all the time, uh, it's very easy to weed people out based on your opinions of them. However, there are other companies that I think are a lot more mature about this process. I talk about Lenovo a lot. Lenovo is a great example. I have not given stellar reviews to every single Lenovo computer I've looked at. In fact, I've been uh, you know, banging on their keyboards with the, where they were putting the shift key in the past. And they, instead of not talking to me anymore, they continually send products to me. And I've been noticing those products improving uh, on the things that I and many other reviewers comment on. So in, in some cases, uh, many companies realize that there's no such thing as bad publicity. And if the review is uh, a fair and accurate one, uh, accurate means also pointing out things that might turn off a consumer. And in many cases, a lot of companies have recognized that uh, portions of their product that uh, might cause some pause in someone's opinion uh, might actually lead to better consumer experiences because if somebody buys a computer and had this glowing review for it, yet uh, I left out the fact that the shift key is in a bad spot, that might be enough for that consumer to return the product and never buy another product from that company again. So there might be some value to having negative portions of the product talked about because that might prevent a poor consumer experience. They can improve the product in the next cycle and maybe win that customer in and grab a loyal customer as a result. So I think there are companies that handle this better. I actually have a sponsor coming up on the channel. We're going to be doing a series about, um, actually not about their products, but uh, the technology that these products use. And I reviewed one of their products pretty poorly, but uh, they still came to me because they recognized that I was pointing out something that a lot of customers are dealing with with their particular product line. And uh, I think that was a really great thing for them. And I found too that the companies that uh, respond the way that this upcoming sponsor responded, as well as the way Lenovo responds, uh, tend to produce better products in the end because they do care about what their customers think and they also care about what reviewers think and are willing to take that risk by putting these products in front of people. And a couple of people in the wake of the Patreon debacle were curious about whether or not I accept Bitcoin. And uh, I have started to actually, and I, I'm going to uh, put up a uh, thing down below in the video description. And one thing I noticed though about Bitcoin was that uh, the fees for transacting Bitcoin are pretty ridiculous right now because of how the whole blockchain works with that particular format. So now I have a Bitcoin cash thing set up as well, but uh, I'm not so keen on this whole uh, Bitcoin cryptocurrency thing at the moment. I know it's got a ton of buzz right now. The value of these 
Uh, currencies are increasing exponentially sometimes by the day, but uh, it's often hard, first of all, to figure out who donated the money, because I do like to thank people. In fact, I got an anonymous Bitcoin contribution, not a large one, but an anonymous uh, Bitcoin contribution, and I have no idea where it came from. So if you did uh, do that, please let me know down below, and I will uh, make sure you get into the credit rolls at the end of the month. And I think all of these cryptocurrencies are going to crash in a big way once this fad wears out, and I think it's going to at some point, although uh, there are some key technologies that are coming out of the uh, cryptocurrency world that I think are going to have significant impacts in a good way uh, moving forward, especially the blockchain and how all of that works. I'm really uh, intrigued about where that's going to go. The fact that you can have this uh, database that validates even very small transactions is a really cool thing. And I really uh, did enjoy reading about how Bitcoin works and just the genius that it took to put this whole thing together to start with. It's really pretty remarkable. And nobody still knows who actually did Bitcoin, but I'm guessing they're sitting on a bunch of coins right now, quite happy they came up with the idea in the first place. So now it's time for a Q&A for you, and I would love to get uh, your opinion on cryptocurrencies. Which ones are you using? How are you getting those cryptocurrencies converted back to regular dollars? I would really be curious about that. I was using Coinbase for a little bit, but it's so slow to get the transactions in and out of it. So I'm just curious what you're all using. I have now a wallet that I uh, have in an encrypted thing on my computer here, and that's what I've been using for uh, Bitcoin Cash and regular Bitcoin. But again, I'd just like to get more, uh, more info about this because I'm trying to uh, find some more uses for it beyond just uh, playing around. So let me know what you're doing with cryptocurrencies and uh, make sure that you cover this on your tax return because these are now considered capital gains and not just general currencies, so at least by the IRS here in the United States. So uh, be careful. If you did well on Bitcoin this year, Uncle Sam is going to want uh, his part of it. So now it's time for the channel of the week. And this is going to be a video I'm going to point you to on one particular channel. I haven't watched all their other content here, but it looks like, at least from this video, uh, it's a pretty cool thing. This is a great example of how the YouTube algorithm is very good about uh, putting content in front of you that you might be interested in. And the video I'm talking about here is where the arrow is, which is how Star Wars was saved in the edit. This is produced by a channel called Rocket Jump, and they uh, talked about a lot of what Star Wars looked like before the editors got to it. Now, of course, George Lucas was involved with that, but uh, they talked about how his wife at the time, who was one of the editors on the film, uh, really added tension to the movie through the edit process that wasn't there before and likely saved the story as a result. And it was a great uh, thing. In fact, there was one uh, portion of that video where they talked about how the Death Star battle at the end of the first Star Wars film uh, did not have the Death Star actually going to destroy the rebel base. It was just sitting out there waiting for them to come to it. And she added in through editing uh, that tension of the time running out for the, uh, the ship to destroy the base there and uh, actually gave this a self-defense uh, mechanism versus an offensive strike uh, that they made on... Uh, on the, on the Empire there. So good stuff. Definitely check out that video, and I'm sure they've got some other good ones on there too. So this week, I've got a bunch of stuff planned. Hopefully, we can get to all of it. Uh, the first is something that has been shot and currently being edited across the room from me, which is the Synology DS218J NAS. Uh, this is Synology's low-cost entry-level device. We'll look at what you can do with this one versus some of the more expensive ones in that video. We're also going to be taking a look at a new device as part of the Amplify product line of internet routers. And we looked at uh, the Amplify system, I think, last year, which consisted of a router and then some wireless nodes you can stick up around your house as a wireless mesh. Uh, they've got a new device here that's kind of like a hardware VPN. So what you do is you pair this up with the router. 
uh, you stick it in your bag, and when you're traveling at a hotel or some other place, uh, you connect to this via Wi-Fi with your device, and then it will tunnel itself back to your home internet connection. So it kind of works as a VPN, but you're also able to encrypt all of your internet traffic and have it run through your home internet uh, versus running through the hotel and having it just be out in the air, uh, open to anyone to spy on. So there's an encryption process here, again, kind of like a hardware VPN. Uh, we'll see how this works. Kind of a neat new type of product that I hadn't seen before. And you can see here, my dog is taking a look at the other product that just arrived. This is my holiday gift to myself. I uh, finally pulled the trigger on an OLED TV. I got the uh, new uh, LG C7. I guess it's been out for a little bit of time, but uh, the price on these finally got to a point where I found it relatively reasonable. And we'll talk about what this OLED TV will provide. I did hook it up upstairs. I'm still going through my evaluative process, but I am quite pleased with it. And I'll share, you, uh, share with you my thoughts on this OLED set uh, later on in the week, so be on the lookout for that. And I'm hoping also probably maybe later this week, early next week, to get to my annual retro review uh, where I review some old piece of technology like it's new. And my plan at the moment is to take a look at that uh, Newton message pad that's been staring at you all these years on the shelf. I'd like to take the things that you see on the shelf all the time and, and review them for you. So we're going to look at uh, the Newton and why it was ahead of its time and probably why it didn't uh, survive as a product line. It was something that I uh, used quite a bit in the early 90s, and that one still works, I think. So we'll put some batteries in it and uh, see if it still comes up. Let me know if you'd like to see something specific in that Newton review. There might be a few things that I can't do with it just because I have to have an old computer to hook it up to, but I'm going to try to look around in my uh, back room there and see if I can get something booted up for synchronization purposes. But uh, stay on the lookout for that retro review. Now, if you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv support and make a monthly or one-time contribution to the channel. Uh, this is international, accepts payments from 135 different currencies, everything but your cryptocurrencies at the moment. But I've got links to my cryptocurrency addresses on there if you wish to do that. Uh, we also have the ongoing relationship with Plex. So I mentioned that at the outset, we have the uh, Plex Pass thing that you can subscribe to, but they also have uh, the ability just to get a free account and us to get a commission based on that. So if you go to lon.tv Plex, uh, you can get a free account and we'll get a small commission for that. We also have a bunch of channels that you can find me on. The Extras channel is my unboxing and supplementary content channel. We've got the podcast feed at lon.tv slash podcast for audio versions of this show and a few other things that I do. Uh, lon.tv slash snippets for digestible search-friendly components from this show and others. And of course, the live stream archive is at lon.tv slash live streams. And we still are on track to try to get live streams going on a regular basis next year. Just trying to get a week where I can just plan. And I'm just always trying to keep up with the content creation for the on-demand stuff. But uh, live streams is definitely something I want to get into my uh, regular schedule. If you want to get notified every time I do something, click on that bell so that you always get notified when new content gets posted to uh, this channel or the other ones that I am responsible for. And of course, you can engage with the channel on my email list at lon.tv slash email, the Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook, and the store where I resell things that I have reviewed on the channel and I'm now getting rid of at lon.tv slash store. You can get an alert every time I put something up on the store at lon.tv slash store alert. So that's going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Thank you all for your continued support of the channel, both through uh, your contributions, but also just by watching and subscribing, because all of those things equal channel growth. I greatly value your comments, so please keep those coming. And remember, keep those Star Wars spoilers over on that Facebook group, at least for the short term, just so we don't ruin the movie for anybody. This is Lon Seibin. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.TV supporters, including Gold Level supporters, the Black Eyed and Blues Music Hour podcast, Chris Allegretta, 
and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. Head over to lon.tv support to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv s.